This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. All right, guys, welcome back to the Rick Shields Golf Show podcast, everybody. This is episode 182. Now, this episode, I think you're going to really, really enjoy. It's a guest episode. Last week, we've had a busy week filming, and that's why, apologies, we actually couldn't get a podcast finished last week. We apologize, sorry. And also, that's why, actually, we didn't release any videos last week. We pushed hard in making brand new content that's going to be coming to the channel over the next few weeks and we just needed that little bit of respite to make sure we filmed plenty of content and therefore it goes into the editing factory to get edited ready for your enjoyment coming soon now while we were down in london we filmed some fantastic content again that's all going to be coming really soon um lots of break 75 some other challenges etc and on one of the days, we went to Woburn Golf Club. Now, Woburn is an amazing place. It's got three golf courses. The Marquis course, this championship golf course, which I'll do the break 75 on. Check that out coming soon. So it's got the Duke's course, which is amazing, and the Duchess course, which is one of the hardest golf courses I've ever played in my life because it's so tight. Down there as well, they've got this phenomenal short game area called the Tavistock. And one of the golf coaches there, Dan Greaves, who's been a golf coach for many, many years, coached some of the best players in the world, he has now specialised in becoming a short game coach. Now, as you know from watching the videos, um, how do we say it nicely? My short game isn't my strength. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, there's been some instances of fat shots, thin shots. Uh, it's not been pretty. Now, over the last few months, in fairness, it has got a little bit better. My chip in my short game has actually got a little bit better. However, it can be improved. Now, I had a lesson off Dan. That video is going to be coming very soon. It is one of the best lessons I've ever had. Now, you've seen on the channels recently, I've been very fortunate to have a putting lesson off Brad Faxon, which was phenomenal a full swing lesson of Claude Hardman, which again was brilliant, and now a short game lesson off Dan Greaves. To be honest, there's no real excuse why I shouldn't be shooting 65 in every single video. That's down to me now and to put the work and practice in. But in this episode, we actually sat down with Dan. Me and Guy, we were there together uh, with Dan as a guest. Guy's unfortunately off this week on holiday, so that's why he's not with me this morning. Um, but we sit down with Dan and talk about the short game the players he's worked with, the misconceptions about short game and why he believes it's the best aspect of golf, like why he loves the short game so much. He's brought a book out as well, which I would highly recommend checking out. It's called Three Releases. We talk about it in the, in the podcast as well. Now, just a quick warning. 
this podcast, because we had to film it on location, it wasn't in our beautiful studio we've got here, uh, we had to film it outside and we record it outside near the putting green, which to some degree, for your viewing pleasure, if you're going to be watching it on YouTube channel, looks fantastic. Like, it's gorgeous, beautiful day next to the putting green. However, like a lot of golf courses, there's lots of things going on. There's green keepers, there's planes going across, there's a little bit of wind noise. It's very listenable and watchable, it really is, but it's not to our perfect normal standards. Just bear that in mind. You might just have to uh, lower the volume a little bit if you're in your car or out for a walk because it's just, like I said, it's a bit of wind noise. But the information you receive in this podcast is brilliant. So sit back, enjoy the guest episode with Dan Greaves. Be sure to like him and follow him on his Instagram page. It's blown up recently. I'll put a link down in the description. And one last thing as well, thank you so much for all the donations I received over the last couple of weeks after the London Marathon. We've now hit over £10,000 raised for It's Never You. So thank you so much, everybody. Right, without further ado, this is interview, interview, (laughs) guest episode with short game expert Dan Greaves. And enjoy, because I think you're going to really enjoy this one. So, as you can see, miraculously, we just got here to Woburn. Beautiful day. Lovely. We're outside, so just a bit of a warning. There might be a little bit of wind noise, but we couldn't resist just enjoying this beautiful setting. This is, we say this a lot when we go to new venues, but this is actually becoming already one of my favorite places we've been to. <laughs> we say That's it a lot. Idea. That's good. But the short game area, and it's very fitting having our guest on today, the short game area, I would say, is the best in the world. The best I've been to, for sure. So... Dan, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure. This is your home. Yeah. And it has been for 17 years. 17 years I've been here. I've been here 2006, yeah. Crazy. I mean, we will throw in some imagery of the short game area. Uh, Is it Tavistock short game? The Tavistock short game area is its official name, yeah. It's cut out of these wonderfully tall, beautiful pine trees. And the green is two huge greens with loads of different slopes and angles that you can hit from. The whole venue here is actually really nice. The three golf courses, I've actually been lucky enough to play all three of them. Yep. We're actually about to go and play one of them this afternoon in the Brace yes. 75, which will be coming very soon. Um, but we've had an exciting morning, Dan. Mm-hmm. We've I've been asked, haven't we? Yeah. I've had a lesson off you, yeah. <laughs> which was very, very interesting. Um, because obviously you're a golf coach, mm-hmm. but in the last kind of few years, your Instagram, so in the last 18 months, your Instagram has blown up. Yeah. You're on 119,000 followers now. Okay, yeah. He's coming for you, Rick. He's on his way. <laughs> way to go. And you've really kind of taken this really cool role in the kind of the short game golf coach. I know but you are just a golf coach, but short game is a huge passion for you and you've kind of branched that out into social media. Yeah. Where did this all come from? How did this kind of all start, really? Um... I've always, I mean, I've played golf since I was like four or five years old and I've, I've always like loved the short game. I do think golfers kind of evolve around how they play the game. So I've always like, I've never been the greatest driver of the ball. Short and wild's not a great combination off the tee, is it? So I then tend to miss a few more greens than most pros would. So I quite quickly learned if I was going to compete, I've really got to try and embrace that yeah. and become, yeah, become a good short game player. So I worked very hard on my own technique, managed to get a decent level as a player and, uh, and then uh, obviously really got into the coaching side of things. And it was really, I guess, back in about 2008, uh, nine. I started working with a guy called Steve Luton, who's doing really well now on the Asian tour. He's, you know, he's, he's done well in some of the Saudi events as well. Um, and that, he got his European tour card, and I was there with him. And then uh, Charlie Hull, who's, who's a member at the time here, she'll remember actually, um, she, uh, her dad, David, approached me about doing a little bit of short game work with her because she was a fantastic talent from an early age. Mm. And she was about 15. She was about to turn pro. I think she went to tour school when she was still 15. Wow. And um, her, her short game wasn't, I mean, she ripped it to a degree, amazing. I mean, I remember seeing when she was 12, 13, incredible. But she didn't really have an idea for short game. But like we spoke about today, Rick, I think a yeah. lot of players um, are really strong in compression in the long game and they struggle to get the finesse mm. and, the, and the touch and feel in short game. And she was definitely a little bit in that camp, particularly with pitching. So he, you know, he asked me to look at a pitch and it went really well. We started making some really big improvements pretty quickly because 
I think with short game, it's very different. Um, when, when you're competing on a national level, you need to have an okay short game. But when you start wanting to compete internationally, mm. and you've played great courses all around the world, you see that you get asked very different questions, don't you? When you're in these runoff areas, you've got to sort of play it up and spin it. And she's now quite healthy shot. So, you know, I started really, really working with Charney, and, and then she, she turned pro at 16. And I don't know if many people know this, her first five events on, Euro on the European tour, she finished second in all five. What? Yeah. I never knew that. Amazing, yeah. So she went second all the way through, five events in a row. And then, uh, you know, suddenly she's in the Solheim Cup at 17. And I kind of knew short game. I knew what good looked like. Mm. And I knew what the ball flight should look like. Didn't necessarily know the mechanics of it inside out. And uh, because of the success with Charlie, I was doing like clinics with her and magazine articles. And I didn't really, you know, if I'm being truthful, absolutely know it inside out. Mm. So I really started this journey of exploring it and kind of experimenting and, and really learning it and digging into it um, until I knew it inside out. Well, with and, that uh, then, is that you kind of just from trial and error with students or is it kind of research? Is it reading books? Is it speaking to other golf coaches? How do you start to understand the short game more? Yeah, I, th I think learning, uh, a lot of people think learning, you can do it all by reading a book. Mm. And I think there's an element of that. So I, so I kind of studied it, but I like, I like studying by watching. So I'll be watching the greats. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was brought up watching golf in the 80s and early 90s. So Seve was like a massive, massive hero mm. of mine. I just loved the way he played short game shots. So I'd be, I'd be doing a lot of study and watching and a lot of my own practice as well. Yeah. Because I came in 2006 and, and the, the questions you get asked around these courses, which you'll get asked this afternoon on the market, <laughs> right, these big affairs, you've got to play different shots. Yeah. So if you like the old fashioned way of chipping, which I was brought up being taught to do, which was ball that lot of lofts, going to drive the hands mm -hmm. in and keep everything low and on the ground as soon as possible. Whilst there's still merits to that in some, certain, in, in some circumstances, you've got to get more versatility playing courses like this. And then I started having to work on my game to be able to play these shots and manage to do it. Um, so yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it is through, I think, your own trial and error. And then obviously as technology went on, got into Trapman, Trapman sort of validated some of my findings um, about how you can sort of release a club slightly differently to get different spins and different runouts. And then using things like wrist sensors and all that to really validate. And I soon realized I was onto something and actually it all made sense because what I thought worked actually was backed up by the data yeah. as well, which, was, which is what you need, yeah. Because, I mean, we, we've talked about this on the podcast, growing up and you just alluded to it there, Chipping style was very, very different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, it was back foot. Mm -hmm. Open the stance forward. up. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot of shots were played differently. Yeah. Like bunker shots was always very much open the stance, open the face, yeah. cut along the line of your feet. You now start to hear players talk about drawing chip shots. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, they're trying to purposely hit that draw type yeah. Feel. Shallowing had, out versus how steep it used to be. Yeah, yeah. we had we had a little go of that on the short game yeah. before, and it felt really good. You see now bunker shots being played much more square. Mm -hmm. You know everything being aimed at more at the target. Is this has this happened by accident? Is it this have other people kind of pros and good players done similar things to you and almost the self discovery mm -hmm. then was backed up by Trapman and, and GC quads and launch mm -hmm. monitors. And how much also has the, has the equipment made a massive factor mm -hmm. in this as well? Like, you know, bounce many years ago was nothing that we'd mm. ever really hear of. You'd, you know, yeah. you thought a bounce was just what you got off a cart path when you hit a bad ball. But <laughs> yeah. like bounce now has become such a big thing. Yes, you're right. And, right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and all of these things. So has it been this kind of blend of everything? And, and what would you say has been the maybe the most influential? In I the think it's a combination area? of a few things. I think like everything in life, generally, generally things get better. Like the, the learning gets better, yeah. like the understanding of it. So the understanding of it gets better. Um, but I think actually the condition, generally, bunkers are much better than they were 30, 40 years ago mm, yeah. when it was been prolifically taught, okay? Because the, the sand would be, there'd be less sand, okay? So when you've got less sand, it, it helps to actually swing a little bit across because it's a steepener. In short game, you've got shallowers and steepness. So when there's less sand, if you dig across, it's a way of elevating the ball. So even if today, if I've got a really bare light, I'll kind of go back to the old school methods because yep. it actually works for yep. that. There's, there's a purpose for so it. So there's, there's lots more sand now. When there's lots more sand, you've got to be shallower. So it makes sense to use more bounce and stand squarer. Also, sand wedges, like you say, they're so much better now. Mm. You know, if you, look, if you look at sand wedges back in the day, they were kind of very, very basic in their design. And the good news is these days, amateurs can buy exactly the same wedges that the tour pros are using. Yeah. Whereas even, even 10, 15 years ago, they'd have very different looking, yeah. looking grinds, like you said, you know, the grind is so different. So I mean, it's a combination of technology in, in both the sand and, and the actual golf clubs and just better understanding yeah. that actually playing it squarer 
you also get a much straighter spin on the ball as well. Because when you cut across it, firstly, you've got to hit it about three times harder if there's a lot of sand, right? Yeah. So that's hard to judge distance. If you're coming in square, the sand is what explodes the ball out square. And then if it's landing, you've got a bit of spin, it's actually got straight spin on it. So you've actually got a chance of holding a bunker shot. If you think ah, about yeah. trying to bring it in from the side into a hole, that's quite difficult, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's hard to judge. Yeah. So that's why you'll see it you know, much, much squarer these days. Yeah. Don't, I don't think there's any a guest or anyone we've had on where I'm literally hanging on every word. Well, yeah. Because for me, it certainly is my own self-discovery of short game. Sorry if there is a bit of background noise, everybody. We're outside today and there's green keepers, everything else. But hopefully it's, you'll still enjoy the episode. Um, for me, it's, it's been my biggest bugbear for, for a while over the last few years. And it's, it's been the, the thing that's probably... When you're not good at something, you end up putting it off. Well, I, yeah, I yeah. certainly yeah. do. Like I'm much more comfortable going to a driving range and hit a load of driver shots because yeah. I'm actually comfortable doing that. Yeah, it's like me putting off playing a long iron. Yeah, practicing long iron play. You know. Players typically practice the strengths. Well, don't you, they? We're coming on to that quite nicely then. One, obviously, as a golf coach, you don't need to be an amazing golfer. We hear that a lot. Now, was it Claude Harmon that yeah. he's off like nine yeah. or something? He, he is openly admits that he's not the best golfer, and that that makes sense because ultimately the tour pros need coaches, and you can't. No, there's no one better than John Rahm, so he has to have a coach that's kind of worse than him, if you like. But one thing with yourself that I've noticed from a few of your Instagram videos and today in particular is you actually are a wizard with the wedges. <laughs> And yeah. I think that that must help because when you're explaining shots to students, whether they be high handicap amateurs or elite tour pros, when you can show them a method, execute it yourself flawlessly, that must help you to get the trust of your Yeah, I think your, so. Your if, you can, if you can demonstrate the shot, I think, I think if you can demonstrate the shot as well as coach, I think that's immensely powerful Yeah, because you, they, they can watch you do it. And a lot of people are just, everyone's different learners, aren't they? Some people like to get really into detail. Some people like to just be more visual. So I've seen someone the other day and I, and I was playing these shots and I was sort of saying, you know, um, how are you doing that? He says, I don't know, I'm just copying you. Yeah. So I think that's quite interesting. Yeah, so the ability to play the shots is key. And I do kind of like pride myself that, you know, if I was to go and play with a tour pro, I'd touch to lots of tour pros and we go out and play, they're going to absolutely just destroy me to to green. Yeah. But I still round the green, back myself to, to be at least the same as them, if not beat them. <laughs> and, um, you know, when we are chipping comps, I am able to beat them you know, at least half the time. That's good. And, uh, but like you, yeah, all I really practice is short game. Actually, I just practice my long game as well, but yeah. I love short game. I just love it. I love missing greens. It sounds really <laughs> daft. I only, I only probably hit eight or nine greens around. On so, purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I'd much rather miss a, miss a green than hit to 30 feet. Because I, don't be wrong, I'm disappointed when the ball's like curving away from the target. But when I, as soon as I'm walking up to my ball, I'm getting really genuinely excited about what shot I'm going to play, how I'm going to be able to show off and play the shot, you know, and, and, and the challenge of it, I absolutely love. I love it. And do you, I, do you, could, I couldn't be more, <laughs> I couldn't be more polar opposite. You get put her out no matter where the ball goes anyway, so you put in no matter what. I, I, when I see that ball missing the green, I'm like, oh, there goes my par. <laughs> At the moment anyway, but after my lesson this morning, yeah, different things hopefully now. might change. We, we play a lot of links courses recently and, and you know, certainly, obviously, over here, there's, there's so many different ways to play shots around a links course. When, when you're, if you're coaching someone or you were there yourself on a mm. links course, do you see that there is just one shot to play, or do you see that there's different ways? It could be the bump and run across the floor, or you should actually loft it up, or is there a right and wrong shot, or is it just finding shots that you're comfortable yeah, with? Yeah, totally right and wrong. Uh, the big thing is, links courses actually can play very differently. I know the actual designs are exactly the same, but like the firmness of the turf. Sometimes some links courses you played, they've got a little gift still in the turf, mm -hmm. isn't it? So you can still, like we did today, you can do your release twos where you release the club a little bit more, where the, where the, you know, the butter is kind of pointing back at the belt, look where the, the bounce is sliding a bit more. But if, let's say you're playing like Hoylake in 06, where it was just absolutely burnt, yeah. you would definitely have to make adjustments there. You know, you would have to take the bounce off. So there are a number of ways of doing that. You could do more like what I call a release one, which is more the front hit release. You could do, you can start, like, like we said earlier, the grind is so great now, you can put toes down. Mm. Like the, generally, a lot of clubs have like um, toe relief, so you can put the toe lower, and then you can still play it with a bit of release and get more spin. So reading the lie is actually, I think, the, the most poorest aspect that amateurs do in short game. Like, they don't read the lie very well. Yeah. Um, and then they'll try and play a shot that the eye sees that they want to play because they've got to go over something, for example, but they'll just the lie won't allow them to play it. Yeah, so it's, I, I mean, it's absolutely I, key. Honestly, if you can learn that, it's massive. I, I think sometimes you already preset what shot you're going to play. Yeah. And you've not looked whether it's sat down, whether it's sat 100%. up, whether, you know, yeah. you, you just don't do it. And, and you're right with a lot of, how many times do you see, and, and to be honest, some golf courses in the UK and the US, 
force you to pick a club before you get over there because you yeah. got to park your buggy at yeah. one and you just grab yeah. a wedge. Go, yeah. oh, that's the club I'm going to use. When you get over there, you go, actually, this lie, this lie is not going to be allowing me to hit that yeah. shot. Sure. Um, and it's quite interesting. Do you remember the Tiger Woods uh, tailor-made wedge that it came out that was designed just for Tyler, yeah. Tiger Woods? Yeah. That, if I'm not mistaken, had lots of different bounces yes. and grinds mm -hmm. depending on how he set it up. Yes, yeah, right. You could angle it differently or toe or heel down and, and or lay it back, and it, the way it was ground, you could, you could you could still get the relief to be able to play from different lines. Yeah. It's, it's quite and a minefield, though, isn't it? And, and I'd is, almost yeah. relate it to recently I bought a, a, a battery-powered screwdriver. <laughs> okay. Okay. A, a little handheld battery-powered <laughs> screwdriver. Okay. okay. And I went Talk to the DIY shop. I don't know about. You I don't know about. Yeah, yeah. I don't know anything. Why? Okay. So I'm looking along. I'm going. Which one do I get here? Right. And there was one where the middle section would twist, and then you could have a different head. Right. So it could be a flat head. It could be a cross. It could be a Allen key. Yeah. And what I'm trying to say there is is. That tool now allows me to do any job around the house. Yeah. I suppose you wedge, a bit like Tiger's wedge with the different bounces, different grinds. That's his multi-purpose yeah. wedge that you can yeah. do a lot of different things He's with. versatile. You've got to build yourself a versatile shotgun. I'm like, I've got three, three wedges in my bag, but really, I've got kind of 25, really, in terms of how you can use them so differently. But very, very few golfers, I think, understand how they can do that. I mean, I do short game schools now twice a week, and, and, and they've got all these fantastic clubs, and I spend most of the time educating them. You can use that bit or that bit. Yeah. understand you can do that or that. And, and it's just, just having that knowledge can transform you as a golfer. Question then for you. Obviously, is a bit, even for kind of my decent level, I get a little bit overwhelmed by, obviously, you've got lofts, you've got grinds, you've got bounces, you've got different finishes and wedges. Like the Titus Vokey website is a bit of a minefield. Now, there obviously is ways you can kind of roughly fit yourself or you can go for a fitting as well. But it feels to me like there's not anywhere really, maybe this place, the Titus Centre, is an exception to some degree, but there's not many places you can go and try wedges actually out and get fit and have the different lofts and grinds there. Like, how mm -hmm. would you recommend an amateur golfer get? fit for wedges because it is quite difficult it is difficult um you do need a facility i think you do have to play off grass yeah i think that's absolutely vital yeah the mat, the mat tends to flatter and similar grass to what your home golf course yeah, would be ideally, off, I ideally i mean i'm not trying to plug woven but when people have wedge fittings here they'll come down and the guys will take the whole bag of wedges down to the short game area and they'll spend an hour playing different shots and you can yeah. try them all and that i think that's that's like the ultimate way of yeah of having a wedge fitting i would also say with wedge fitting I think too much emphasis is placed on the gapping, as in the full shot gapping. Yes. Like trying to get that right. It's important, but I think it's more important to get the right, the right loft and, 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 and bounce and grind for around the green. Like you, you can chip in around the green, you've got to get it absolutely bang on. Yeah. In terms, I think if you're good enough, even if you're not, you learn it to be able to play more like three quarter shots. If you've got yeah. a bigger gap between, say, your 46 and your 52, that's fine. Learn to play a three quarter 46. Yeah. And you make sure your 52, your 56 and 60s are absolutely right for you. Yeah. Like a little bit more loft around the green, like having a 52 rather than a 50, for example, would be better for you to chip with than maybe a 50. And, and this is what the player needs to figure out. Yeah. What would you, obviously you're very, you know, um, your heart is set on short game. Do you think too many general golfers focus more on a driver fitting and neglect the wedge fitting? Yeah, without doubt, without doubt. Very, very few people get fit for the wedges. They'll buy them off the shelf. It's a lot of people's last thought, isn't it? Really? But it's harder to get fit though as well, isn't it? It is harder, but I would also say the big one, you know, people listen, I would say to always get your wedges just at least one degree flatter, maybe two in your 60. Then, so let's say you're one degree upright in your irons, you want to go one degree flat in your 60. Oh, right. really? So yeah, just go flatter because the, he the heel part of a wedge is the dangerous bit. That can kind of dig in and turn. The toe, is designed to slide. It's a much more friendlier approach. A bit like you were doing it. You're yeah. saying that you found a way around it by putting the toe down for your, for your chipping. That's because the toe's designed to slide. So you'd much rather have a toe down wedge than a toe up wedge. Wow. So if you just did that, that would, that would really help. You've taught, obviously, Charlie Hull and some other great players. And you've had some great victories as well. Can you talk us through some of your kind of highlights with teaching actual tour pros? With players, yeah. Um, so obviously I touched Georgia Hall. That was a really, that was a that was a good journey because I started teaching Georgia. I think she was about 450 in the world, and ended up getting to number six. Wow. So all the way through from European Tour to winning a major, she went. If you remember, she won the yeah, she was fantastic. Were you coaching day. her then as well? Yeah, that's oh, wow. right. I was coaching her all of her game actually. Swing, um, 
wow. putting and, and how, did that, how did that feel as a golf coach? Oh, amazing, amazing. Yeah, I was a bit nervous that last day, but it was so, particularly the journey, because I remember when I first started coaching, she was doing okay in a European tour, but she was on the cut line quite a lot. She was always very gritty. She's on the cut line, she'd make it. Um, so I knew she had it like mentally amazing. And we just improved a few things and just quietly, quietly improved every year. So if you look at a kind of like order of merit, it just kept stepping and just improving every year and obviously won the major. Um, not working together anymore, but um, you know, she's absolutely delighted that she's, she went off a little bit and she's come back. She's back to top mm. 10 in the world now, but I feel like my job's done there. She's done great and, and we move on, you know? You got your major win. Yeah, exactly. That'd be a silly question, but as a coach then, would you rather have a client that kind of gets better year on year or something that dramatically gets better? Because I think if you get better very quickly, could that then almost be that you could go off the rails quite quickly as well? But if you get better just year on year, that's almost I think more... Yeah, I think you're in a, it's showing like progression that can be sustained. Yes. Like if you suddenly have a, a fantastic win and, you, and you're up there, and we've seen it a number of times, haven't we, yeah. with golfers, yeah. that they have a big win and they drop off. So, it's that yeah, consistency that, that of year quiet, on year. Just getting I think better the only player also. that's kind of broke that mold a little bit at the moment is Scottie Scheffler. Yeah. Yeah. He has come out of almost nowhere. Yeah, it's just... interesting. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. First time seen stayed there. Yeah. And he, he will, looks like he will do. Who would you say has got the best short game on tour? Today? As a professional golfer, yeah. Today. Um, right now. Is Cam Smith on tour? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Cam, Cam Smith is on the tour, yeah. Yeah, no, I think Cam Smith, I love how he plays his short game shots. Yeah. I think St Andrews, I thought he was amazing with his wedge play. And, he, and he's, he's comfortable going in, in all trajectories. I think he, he rotates really ball beautifully. He's great. Um, and, and John Rahm as well, I love how he plays it as well. Yeah. He's quite, he kind of drills it in with a bit yeah, more Yeah, he spin, plays it a bit yeah. really, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm intrigued to know what you think of like, someone like Jason Day's short game. Because that's... It seems very, very straight armed and not much wrist movement. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, it works really well for him. You know, he's wide. He maintains his radius really well when you do that. That's, that's the, when you start using your wrist a little bit, you, you run the risk of not maintaining that. Um, and he holds it. He kind of like goes wide and he just holds the loft, yeah. right? And he does it really well. Um, I wouldn't particularly recommend it for everyone because... I think you've got to have a little bit more softness. You've got to start allowing the club to fall if you want to get the versatility. I think if most golfers who are less talented than him did it, I think they'd become very one-dimensional. Which mm. is most people listening and watching yes. yeah. is less talented than Jason. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so, as your Instagram and social media have been blowing up, because as mentioned, you've just got 219,000 followers, which I'm sure after this podcast, hopefully be sure to check out Dan on all of his social media. That started like 18 months ago and you were on 
you were on what a couple of thousand yeah or? it was you just sat a couple of thousand for a while and i thought i better try and do something about this and, <laughs> and in conjunction with this you've kind of now been known for this kind of these three releases mm -hmm. so release one two and three which again in the video that i did with dan this morning you'll see that coming out soon but also you've conjunction uh, brought in with a book as well mm. like how did that kind of all come into play was that or planned? Did you have the book in the back of your mind and the social media just kind of fit in? Or was it, how did that all uh, work? Yeah, the social media, I started working on that and, and I just try and keep it as natural as I can in social media. It's just me just giving a lesson, right? It's nothing too staged. Um, so that was growing all the time. And really, what, I'd always wanted to write a book because I thought I was sort of slightly onto something with short game in terms of the, the I was using the terms release one, two, three with golfers. For probably, I've been using that for about seven or eight years with golfers and they liked it and I thought it, was, it made sense to them. Um, but I didn't want to start using it on social media and I didn't want other coaches to start saying it was there. So I basically I thought, well, write a book. It's an indirect, indirect way of copywriting it. I know if coaches want to use it, fantastic, brilliant, brilliant, use but, it. It's, but it's, thing, it's, it's my language. Yeah. That, that's all I wanted to do. Makes so that's sense. really why I wrote the book. I didn't write the book to, to sell loads. I just wrote it as a, as a say, look, this is, my, this is kind of my system. That's, that's why I did it. Um, and really, the lockdown thing really was the, was the reason because it was the winter lockdown where there's three months where it was like, it was just hard, wasn't it? I thought, mm. you know, it was either getting involved with a homeschooling or it was, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was write a book. And I just sat in the office and I just wrote the book. Wow. And, and got it done. And uh, I think without lockdown, I probably would never have got it done. Did you find that process quite hard? Yeah, it was, it was quite nice initially when you start writing, but then you just got to pour over every word and just, just make sure. I, I've tried to strip it back and... The feedback I've had from the book has been great. The fact that everyone says this language is like really, really simple. And I take that as a compliment yes. because I've tried to make it that anyone can understand it. Yeah. I could have used it. And you see a lot of coaches using like really long, fancy ana anatomical kind of words. But I've just tried to keep it as simple as possible so anyone can relate to it. Well, that's the big thing. The, the, we have something with that Rick's coach videos. We want them to be very broad and easy to consume because we have a lot of new golfers and non-golfers watching. I suppose there's, there's more of those people out there than absolute hardcore golfers. And if you had a book that was super hard to get your head around, yeah. although the information would be great, it might only appeal to X amount of people. But the book that you've done and the, and the way, you, like you said as well, the Instagram, it's very natural, very easy to follow. It's very simple. And you feel like a fly on the wall. Yeah. I think that's why people like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You feel like you're kind of part yeah. of the lesson, really. Yeah. I suppose you could have wrote you wrote a book for golfers, not for golf coaches. Yeah, and that's the yeah. difference. Yeah. So you can get golf coaching books that are designed for other golf coaches that yeah. go really into detail and yeah, yeah, yeah. talk about radial movement and all these other yeah. things. Where you've actually just gone, no, I'm actually making it for this the golfer. This is for the club golfer. Yeah, to really understand it. And, and just so clear, like the three releases, the way in which you play the shots, Pete, golfers have been using these techniques for 200 years. Mm. Like I've not come up with like brand new ways of playing the shot, I might have tweaked them a little bit. I might have just said, look, let's, go, let's move that, let's, let's set up this way to play this shot. I think what I've tried to do is create a blueprint so golfers can really understand it. So they know that they're not mixing ingredients up. Because short game really is a selection of ingredients, like what, what hits it high, what hits it low. And I think generally golfers mix, mix them all up. So what I tried to do in the book is make sure if you're playing a low shot, you set up like this and these are your checkpoints and this is where you finish with the release point. And it's the same if you want to do like a release two, which is more of a mid-flight high spinner and a release three if you're really trying to hit it high from a lob shot or a bunker shot. So it's just understanding what are the ingredients, when do I use a shot, and a big part of the book as well is actually on your golfing intelligence, like what I call your, golf, your golfing IQ, your ability to choose the right shot, read the lie, and uh, make sure you're, you're playing the release correct for the, for the shot you've got. And if you can link in better technique with a better way of thinking, a higher golfing IQ, you can become an amazing short game player. And I don't think it's out of the realms of anyone to be, try and aim to be a scratch short game player. Mm. You've got to kind of separate the handicaps. So I like to almost think, what is your handicap as a, as a golfer just on short game? Yeah, and and, and right. it's not a physical act, is it? You don't need to be able to move like Rory. Yeah. Or, you, know, you don't need to. There's no reason an average kind of golfer cannot become the best short game player in the world. It's similar with yeah. really. Similarly, putting there's no reason why that the most average person could not become the greatest putter in the world. Absolutely agree. Yeah, uh, Matt, who does our podcast, um, has become quite your disciple. <laughs> and from what I've read on online and social media, he's not the only one because it seems like you've really opened the eyes of a lot of golfers in this idea that mm. you know they've got an understanding. I mean, Matt's been very, very cocky recently about his short game. <laughs> and we're staying locally and we might have a little chipping comp tonight. So I think that, he needs testing, yeah. That yeah. might need testing. <laughs> um, but, it, but 
I think what's good about what you're doing is you, and, and the lesson I had today, it's that confidence. It's nice to hear it and the way you simply put it, it, it kind of makes a lot of sense and it's easy, it's easy to understand. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, the book's obviously out. Mm-hmm. Is it on Amazon? Yeah. Oh, is it three releases? It's, it's called, called Three Releases, the short game system, yeah. I would highly recommend it if people pick it up. I've got a copy. I'm not a great reader. The next and you brought thing, a copy. You didn't, I, I didn't send you one, which is that. I did. I bought a copy. Did you see it on Amazon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bought a copy. Um, and then I must admit, I'm not the greatest reader. I think audiobook has to come out next. I, I thought about that, but yeah, I don't know how you get across the photo because a lot of it's imagery. Oh, yeah, yeah that's true. A point. Watch Richie's video with Dan Greaves. What about a featured film? If you could wrap the whole book up in an hour video, I'm all over it. Mm. That'll be my next project, with Yeah, I'm, a, I'm too visual. Nice on that. I'm not so much. A, I'm not a reader. You know, that's definitely true. Do you do you find so most of your clients that come and see you now at the Worldburn because people you can book a lesson with you and have a yes. lesson here at Worldburn yeah. with you? What what are they coming in saying? What's the most common issue fault? Is it because I, I feel like when I was coaching full time, a golfer coming say, I'm kind of slicing it. I mean it well enough, but I'm kind of slicing it. Yeah. I feel like short game, it's a huge amount of it could be I'm duffing it, I'm thinning yeah. it, I'm shanking it. Mm. I, I, like there seems like there's a lot of issues around short game that players struggle with. Yeah. What do you find is the most common issues that people come uh, with? Yeah, so I'd probably group that into two two things. For, firstly, for the for the better player like you, Rick, it, it's often as you were doing today. It's kind of quite short in the backswing, quite a linear motion, not really having much rotation quite a short backswing and then driving quite hard, so having no release. And then using that loft, a lot of loft to offset that. Mm. Yeah. Right? So it gets quite driving, quite strong, which is good for certain shots, but it's going to make you very one-dimensional. Yeah. And then for the probably mid-higher handicappers, it goes the other way where actually players get quite flippy. Yeah. Because they're not really understanding the setup. They're not understanding how the body needs to pivot correctly. So. The higher handicapper tends to not move and just flip the hands, and the lower handicapper tends to kind of drive their arms. I would say that's the biggest, the biggest yeah. thing. Is that where they make it easier to coach a high handicapper then? Because they're probably not a million miles yeah, off. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because um, you know, good players generally, they, well, all good players in long game will create a lot of pressure. Yeah, a lot of sort of flexion with yeah. the, with the lead wrist as they come into the ball, which is great. Compression is strong, and then they kind of take the same pattern into short game. Um, but what you find in, 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 in high handicappers, they go the opposite. They almost release it too much. Yeah. So it's just getting the right. And then they've got to, and I, I just teach them to understand the different release points. And once they understand that, they've got, they, they know where to go. You've got to understand it yourself. You've got to be able to coach yourself at this game. Yeah. That's key. I feel like with, with higher handicappers, I'm guessing really your, your big um, fact that you're trying to get across is controlling the low point. Yeah, low point. So That's I bet absolutely, a, lot of, yeah. a lot of higher handicappers lean back yeah. and try and. Because I think subconsciously they're trying, the they're trying to get in the air with the, the tilt. So that's why I teach this foot flare. And if you get that foot flare and you sort of push the pressure left, um, you can create this pivot line that I talk about, which runs from your foot through your knee, hip into shoulder, running through your left ear. And then you've got a line in which you can actually rotate around. So most golfers, the most common fault is the pressure tries to go left with the hips and then the, the body tilts back yeah. as like a byproduct. So. With this in mind, then obviously if, if someone comes to one of you two guys for a full swing lesson, there's different, obviously people might not be flexible or they might have certain swing characters they just can't change or whatever. But with this then, does that mean pretty much everyone that comes to see you can follow these steps and you can yeah. coach kind of one way yeah. really? Great question, I totally agree. I think I think full swing, I would never, for example, bring out a book saying the long game system. Yeah. Right? I just totally disagree with that, right? But I think short game, as I say, it's not a physical act. I can get most people chipping a very similar way. They yeah. look very, very similar because you don't need to be built yeah. amazingly. You don't need to have amazing flexibility yeah. to do it. So I think anyone, absolutely anyone can chip. So from what you're saying then really, none of us here or listening or watching, there's no excuses. No, but you've got to get in the mind. I think it's between the Yeah. That's well, then the you you no physical limitations. Correct, but one, one thing Dan said off camera for me, we were having a chat, because we said that it's in your head about your chipping, but then you came back and said something like, it's not really, it's actually in your technique. Because if your technique's great and you're hitting good shots, yeah. then your, your head's fine. I would yeah. say if you're technically good, you're mentally good. Correct, yeah. You know, because if your technique's out, it will always show up. It will always show up, particularly when you, you know, you're under the gun, like you're, yeah, it really matters. So you know, if, you, if you can just get your technique right, and I think I've taught you today, Rick, and maybe you tell me, but it's like you, you, a number of shots today, you hit behind the ball, right? But actually, you got it 
quite close yeah. because actually we've just made the club friendlier. Correct. Whereas That's before, the, you, the way you were chipping, you can chip that way, but you've got to be perfect. And you've if you got are to heavy. Be absolutely yeah. perfect because if you are heavy, it's, it's going to show. Whereas now, you don't need to be perfect. And if you, I, know, I know about you, if I was standing over a chip knowing I didn't need to be perfect, I'm going to be more relaxed absolutely. than knowing I've got to be perfect. I suppose a bit like my driving. I don't really worry too much about my driving. Exactly. Even though the shots I hit aren't always a perfect strike, you know it's, it's all right. Yeah. They're down there. Exactly. Like I'm, I'm never. I'm not, luckily for me, I'm not ever thinking about topping a drive. Yeah. Or really hitting a terrible drive. But, so I'm yeah. very, very, very confident in my drive. Yeah. Like overly yeah. confident because miss hits are just not that terrible. But, but what you're saying is, if you're making it now with your new technique that it makes it more friendly, you've got more room for error. In a sort of an analogy form, it's almost like being on a tee and the fairway's getting wider. Yeah. yeah. You've got more room for error. Massive margin for error. Yeah. And that's what these top guys are doing. You know, I've been around on, on, on you know, tournaments and, and I promise you, they miss it in their chips all the time. They miss it more, but they miss it into three feet because mm. they've just got this margin for error. And they're much more talented than the average golfer, right? Who's got no margin for error. So we need to, we need to get that margin for error as big as possible. It's really interesting. Is there another side of the game? Let's say now you've you've completed chipping. <laughs> okay, you've got. Is there is there a secondary aspect of the game that you you're as passionate about? Like, does it transcend into putting? Like, are you a, are you a huge putting fan? Is there a system for putting that might be down the line? Uh, there would probably be a system for putting. No, um, I enjoy coaching putting. I do coach putting. I just, I just personally, I just find it a little bit dull. I'd rather be on the short game area playing all these different shots. So, you know, I enjoy putting, of course, and I'm hoping most of my pupils don't need to putt much, really, because they just, you know, chip it, chip it. <laughs> I like that. But, nice. um, if you no, can get people to chip better, exactly, they don't, you need, don't to need to putt. Put. You know what, though, as well, hearing the passion you've got, the knowledge you've got, I know you get a lot of golf coaches who are kind of round, and I know, again, you do, you do still do long game lessons, yeah. but like yourself or a Phil Kenyon, who's a putting coach, yeah. It must be hard to be this much of an expert in every area of the game. Surely there's not many guys who can coach to your level on the short game and on putting and on driving and on iron play. Um, no, no. But I actually think we've almost gone too far the other way where if you're a, if you're a good player now, you have to have a short game coach or a long yeah. game coach or whatever, putting coach. Mental coach. And all these sort of things. And, and really, that's only, that's only really been the last five years yeah. that's been the case. Yeah. Like, I think some of the success I had with Georgia is I was like coach on every part of the game. So she had one voice yep. and you don't get seeds thrown in from all over the place. And I do think, I totally agree. I think having the specialism is really useful. But actually, I also think perhaps at times some players go too far and they get too many coaches. Makes sense. Well, it's, it's, it's too many voices. Yeah, totally. So how do you prioritise? Because yeah. if you're saying, if you're just coaching a player, only short game, mm -hmm. one, it's the only thing you're bothered about their performance yeah. for is their short game. Two, you're trying to drain as much time as you can and say you need to practice for this amount of time mm. in your short game. Then you have that te times five yeah. for yeah. driving long game, putting short game mental. Yeah. That's like a PT. Player, <laughs> yeah, yeah a exactly. And it's really no difficult chance. to um, keep quiet. So let, I remember there's one player I worked with who was, who was a good player on tour, and, and um, chip, short game was fantastic. Um, obviously, the chipping <laughs> was great, but then. Didn't, couldn't hold out from six feet, like putting was all over the place and had a separate, you know, putting coach or whatever. And it's like really difficult to say, can we have a look at the putting? Because the player's not performing. Yeah, I feel like they're doing my bit well enough. And that's frustrating then, isn't it? Yeah. So um, it's an yeah. interesting one. So I do think there's merit in having one coach. Yeah. But equally, obviously, the way it's going, everything's Is that the way more guys are on tour going, having separate coaches yeah, though? Totally, yeah. Yeah. And do you, have you, ha have you had any big, named players sliding into the old DMs and ask for your advice and any, yeah. anyone you can share any stories of? Yeah, I do get some. I won't share any any names because um, sometimes it is under the radar, right? There was something to check. To. So what I get a lot of is players who want me to check something. So they'll say, can I have a second opinion on this? What do you think on this? Mm. So I'll have a look at it on video and sometimes they come up and we have a look. But um, um, the thing is, I don't really want to, <laughs> I don't really want to go on tour. So I don't, I'm not really interested in going away on tour right now with a young family. So yeah. um, I'm, they can come to me and that's fine, but I don't really want to go on tour. I think you, you often think that as a golf coach, the dream is to be a tour coach. That's the most elite players on the planet. But actually, like you said, it's a lot of travel, a lot of way being yeah. away from the family. Yeah. I actually kind of respect the fact that you, you're here in an amazing venue. People can come to you and you've got yeah. a thriving business. I, yeah. I guess that's the dream that's really for you, isn't it? The amount of times I see Phil Kenyon's in, in their port. Yeah. You know, yeah, it must be. He's here then everywhere. Yeah, and it must I, th be I think, I think yeah, I did a little bit of it. I was, I was away with you know, with, um, you know, 
Charlie and Georgia quite a bit, and 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 that was that was that was great to do because you meet lots of people and you kind of you know it's fantastic. Mm. Um, but that can be quite challenging. I remember once I was at the the Open at Kings Barnes. I had about five players there. And um, that's quite challenging where you've got players similar tea times. It's like, who do you oh, go yeah. stand with? And that, that was quite interesting. But no, I, I, I like being there. I love Wogan. Wogan's a great club. I mean, we've got three great courses here, amazing short game area, yeah. really nice club life. I live locally, so I can come in and, and do my coaching and, and, and do bits. So um, I'm not saying I wouldn't go on tour and do a bit, but um, yeah, I think you've got to balance everything, haven't you? You've also not only teaching personnel, people can come here for in-person lessons, clinics, you also do, we've got a lot of international listeners and viewers, you um, online coaches rather yeah, than yeah. through Skillist. Really busy with that, yeah. yeah. And is that, do you, and it's not a loaded question, do you find still great success on online coaching with students as well? Yeah, totally. And, and there's a real reservation about um, whether online coaching works mm. um, because sometimes you want to get your hands on someone. Uh, but I think in, in short game, it 100% works. And, and so, yeah, people send their videos in, I'll sort of annotate over them, draw lines so they can see for themselves what they're doing. And then I'll do a video to camera saying uh, about what they need to go and to work on with some drills. And then they send them back and we go forward like that. And it works. Getting yeah, great you results don't, you don't need a simulator at home. You don't no. need a, no, some people do doing it in the back garden. Yeah. Do it, and some people are doing it in their office. Yeah, and they're wow. just swinging a, a, and hitting a, an airflow ball. Suppose you don't need to yeah. see the result as much. Obviously, a full swing. There's yeah. a lot more going on. But with a chip, you can look at the technique you can look a lot at the more. Action. And, yeah, and I think I think that, I think online coaching will keep growing. Without yeah, doubt. I would be surprised. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I suppose to some degree, it's what I do online coaching videos. It's not much in person, but people will make make notes, and that's why a lot of the stuff that we do online is not only again simple, very visual. We put lots of words on the screen as well for people who like, like to read it rather yeah. than just see it. Um, but yeah, I think I think coaching is definitely changing. It's still a huge aspect of the game. It shouldn't be undervalued by at all. And people mm. who want to improve need to ideally seek the best or, or you know learn the best information. And for you, you've made it as easy as possible mm -hmm. in person, online, or by the book. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So hopefully everyone can learn something. And that's the yeah. thing, that's that's the benefits. I think the, the, the downsides of where we are still for a lot of amateurs, so fitting's hard for wedges and that needs to improve yeah, massively. Yeah. This place is an absolute exception because they've short game facilities quite literally. It's the best I've ever been to, no questions asked. But most general golf courses where a lot of our listeners are members that all play at, you either have an all right putting green that's kind of near the clubhouse. Which you're not allowed to chip on. You're not allowed to chip on. <laughs> and then the very often, there's either no chipping green or it's a massive afterthought and it's a little piece of rubbish land in the corner. It's hard for amateurs to hard. actually practice yeah, chipping. Yeah. It is hard. Um, there's no doubt about it. I think the practice facilities in the UK generally, uh, if you go somewhere like America or Dubai, it's like totally different. Oh, yeah. isn't it? Like so They much. really put much more of a, an emphasis on practice facilities than we do in the UK. You know, it, Again, go back 40, 50 years ago, like, nobody practiced, did they, in the UK? I mean, you know, the, it was just about um, it was almost playing down golf. Onto some no, degree, there was no it? practice areas in a lot yeah. of courses. If you look at a lot of the classic courses, the practice facilities are just like non-existent. Yeah, aren't but they? also they, they built the golf course and then the clubhouse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's less, less, less fun to put in green, and then if there's yeah. anything left, or took a pin in it, yeah. chipping green. Where any, anything built in the last twenty years has a much different. Yeah, it's almost. Like I think you should build your practice facilities first, and then yeah. build the course and clubhouse mm -hmm. around that. And in America, correct, it's the yeah. driving range that almost yeah. gets built first. Yeah. Well, that's where that's the centre, mm -hmm. and everything gets built around. That's that. the beginning of your experience, isn't it? You know, yeah. you've got the range, you've got you got your balls. But you know, to answer your question, I think you can do lots from home. I think you really can if you can if you can video yourself and you can work through through you know what you're trying to do, your key points, and you can be creative. You mm -hmm. know, you can just soft balls. Can you just go under the coffee table, over the coffee table, over the sofa, whatever under? That's still practice. Yeah, that is one hundred percent still practice. When I was, I think probably going back to when I was a good chipper, was when I was an assistant pro in the pro shop. <laughs> you sneak and just, out and just, well, just yeah. in the shop. In the shop, yeah. yeah. Messing exactly. about, trying yeah. to hit shots over clothes and yeah. trying to hit shots over the counter and all these sorts of yeah. things. And like I said, yeah, the kid, how many chipping comps did oh, we have as a kid? Insane. Yeah, like playing for Mars bars, whatever, yeah. Yeah. Were the yeah. best thing ever. Yeah, yeah. Because it put you under pressure. You were competing against other players. You can test yourselves. It, you, you pick stupid shots, yeah. like you, you hit shots from in bushes or you know different shots that you want to play. Play creative. I think more of that needs to happen as, you, as we grow up and become adults as well. Like chipping comps. Well, we've got one on the go at the minute. We were at the Grove yesterday. It's currently six all, so we've got the settle, haven't we? Ooh, Which my tight. money might be on you now, Rick. After this, you know what's really funny. <laughs> so we we do. We've had a couple of chipping comps recently. Last time, I actually, just about pipped it. You did. 
But what's funny, so we do alternate picks. It's not winner picks, alternate. Okay, okay. I like that. It's quite yeah. good. All my shots are on fluffy lines. <laughs> I'm about, yeah. about 15 yards. Guys, the tight yards, re- the tight lines, yes, really close to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> but it it's been good. It's yeah. helpful because that's, that's given you the hard shots you don't want to do, the ones that I don't really want to do, kind of combination. It's quite competitive. We have yeah. a laugh. And it's, you can't it's beat fun. it. And then one thing I would say with juniors, I don't, think, I don't see it quite as much, the whole juniors around the green, as much mm-hmm. as, as, I, as I used to do. So I'd like to encourage it to, for juniors to start doing that again yeah. more and more. You know, if he's playing for a, a Pro V1 or whatever, oh. it's just honestly it means everything, doesn't it? Yeah. And I'd also say to juniors, get the get the sixty degrees out of your hand. Just try and learn to chip with a little bit less loft. And I know you might you might think you know you know for, for one shot in particular you need that sixty. But yeah, if if you start to chip with less loft, like we did a little bit today, you learn to release the club. Mm. You learn to try and play a softer shot with a stronger loft is so powerful yeah. and um, and then yeah put a six in your bag and go and play but sometimes when you're going for nine holes just go out and have your maximum loft to say 54 and see what you can do yeah, yeah that's a good point. and you've got to get that creativity and I think the flair back in juniors I think it's slightly lacking because there's too much loft in their hands from yeah. too early age these days well, it's a little bit like the, the stories of Sevy trying to hit three irons out of bunkers brilliant yeah mm. if you can yeah. hit a three out of bunker so you put a sandwich in your hand oh, it seems yeah so it seems easy. easy you've got that aspect and also just 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 mechanically, you know, how do you do it? Like, how do you hit a high shot? Well, you get low, you cup your wrist more. Yeah. And that's how you do it. And you get your three iron looking like a, a nine iron at the top or whatever. Yeah. And you can play the shot. And then you take that into your sandwich and say, okay, let's try that. Let's drop it down like we did a bit in the bunker. Yeah. Can we play a higher shot, a bit more spin? So you, you can learn two ways from that. Well, Dan, that has been amazing. Has. I think listeners and viewers will have picked up a lot there. I'm going to watch this back many times. I'm going to watch that <laughs> lesson back many times. So I just think, like I say, it's a part of the game that players struggle with, and it, to have a system and a, mm. almost a manual. Like it feels a bit like there's someone there saying, "No, we've follow got this. this." Yeah, it's one, two, or three. Mm-hmm. And once you learn those things, we'll put a link to the book down below. So if you want to check it out, I'd highly recommend it. Um, worldwide shipping. Yes, it's available on Amazon worldwide. Yeah. Wow. And we're is it. 30% did we say? 35 agreed on. 35 we'll great. We'll talk later. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thanks for watching. Be sure to follow Dan on his social media. Let's blow him up over 150,000 followers on Instagram. It would be amazing. Uh, we're going to have some lunch. We're going to play some golf. Thanks for watching. See you next time. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.